Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 204 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get into the episode right after a word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? 
Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Our relationships to our bodies can often be complicated. Messages we get from society, family, and the media often leave us frustrated with our bodies and can lead to unrealistic expectations. To help us get a little clarity in this area, today we're joined by Paula Edwards-Gayfield. Paula is Regional Assistant Vice President at the Renfrew Centers and holds licenses as a counselor and supervisor in both Oklahoma and North Carolina. She's a certified eating disorder specialist and approved supervisor and is a co-chair of the African-American Eating Disorder Professionals Committee. Paula and I chatted about how our perceptions of our bodies are formed, how those perceptions have been shaped during the pandemic, what it looks like to have a more connected relationship to our bodies, developing healthy ideas about nutrition, and she shares some of her favorite resources. If there's something that resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please be sure to share with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Paula. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Yeah. So in session 165 of the podcast, we had your colleague, Dr. Brooks, on just to talk about like how the pandemic has triggered disordered eating for people. And here we are a year later, almost a year later. And so that commentary around like our bodies and eating and what people have done to kind of manage themselves throughout this time, that conversation has not gone away. So I love to just kind of hear from you what kinds of things you've been seeing in your work related to the pandemic and people in terms of like body image and eating? Such a great question. And you're right. Like to think about it a year later, I travel for my job a lot. So I've been grounded actually since March 11th, 2020. So it's sort of when this time came around, that was something for me that stood out. But yeah, we're continuing to see increases in eating disorders, more individuals seeking treatment because of access to care with the telehealth services, but also just continued messages around body image, body image concerns, increased mental health concerns in general. And so we're seeing a lot more people really struggle with body image, I think in many ways because of the, you know, they're constantly on Zoom and whether it's school or work related, even being in treatment with us and sort of that a greater opportunity to pick themselves apart in many ways. Yeah, it definitely seems like I have seen now that more people are getting vaccinated, there's been like lots of conversations around like people in their summer bodies, right? And like getting their bodies ready to be seen again, Mm -hmm. maybe. Can Mm -hmm. you share anything that has come up for you around that? Yeah, we've not heard it too terribly much, but you're absolutely right. I think this is that time of year where people are working to think about, you know, I got to be in shape. Summer bodies, I think, is a great way to state that because they're looking at spring break just passed, the summer's coming up. And you're right, more people getting vaccinated are absolutely preparing for returning to air quotes, like normal activity, you know, that they would have done pre-pandemic. 
And so, you know, definitely the the conversation around body image, as you can imagine, never really goes away. It's something that people struggle with all the time. It's just that continued increase being bombarded with messages. And again, looking at if they did gain any weight over the pandemic and being sort of stuck in their homes, then absolutely the desire to lose weight and, you know, focus on appearance is continues to increase overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you bring up a really good point, Paula, in terms of like these conversations never really going away. And I wonder if we can kind of start from the beginning, just in terms of like, how do we even develop our body image? Like, where do some of those messages come from? Like, how early is that developed for us? Oh my goodness, birth. (laughs) I think that body image is so complex. So I think even though we may or may not be opening up to those messages at birth, but it really does start at birth and it shifts over time throughout various stages of life. You know, body image, we think of that as like how you see yourself, your feelings about your body, how you feel in your body, but also how you believe others see you. And so if you can imagine if all of those things really influence body image, image and body image development, then the factors that are contributing to that are both internal and external. That can be our culture and ethnicity, but also who are the people in our lives? What are the messages that we receive from peers or family members or just our daily groups that we engage in that really do influence our attitudes and values that maybe we're trying to conform to, in addition to just our own perceptions and attitudes and beliefs, you know, about body image. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and we know, you know, pop culture and movies and TV and all of those things really impact like how we see ourselves, especially as Black women. Absolutely. And when you're talking about body image, especially with Black women, we're talking about appearance overall. So that's going to be not just thinness, so to speak, but we're incorporating height, shape, weight, But also some memories could be contributing, our assumptions, our generalizations. We know about looking good with Black women and people of color, but then also hair, complexion. All of these things are factors for Black women when you think about body image. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and something that we haven't really talked about, and I'm wondering if this is something that you work with a lot in your work, Paula, is body dysmorphic disorder. We do. It's definitely looking at individuals. I would say we probably have more individuals that are just presenting with body image concerns Mm -hmm. than body dysmorphic disorder. But yes, we do see it, you know, and really with body dysmorphia, exploring that there's still just something like wrong, that they truly do not see themselves the way that other people see them. And I know there seems to be like a slight, you know, they're sort of like, what's the difference, right? If I don't see myself the way others see me, just having general body image concerns, versus body dysmorphia. When I think about body dysmorphia, it's more like there's something flawed. It truly is off or distorted or wrong or flawed in some way that there's this constant desire to fix it. And that's where you may see people doing not just diets and things like that, but plastic surgery. They're working to fix and repair the flaw. Mm. So, you know, Paula, I feel like I had a conversation with someone probably a couple of months ago around, since you bring up the idea of plastic surgery, like, is it ever within range 
to do plastic surgery? Like, are we always looking at something that could be considered like a body image issue? It's interesting because as you're saying that, I think about family members and friends and people that I know who have had some form of surgery or enhancements or corrections, if you will. And and so I think it's definitely much more accessible to Mm -hmm. Black women now than whether it's liposuction or a tummy tuck or trying to think like all of the terms when people are getting their hips enhanced or their lips. You know, I think there are so many ways that people are constantly trying to improve themselves and to create a sense of looking good and looking better. And so what are the adjustments that they then make? I think that because Black women may adopt like a thicker figure, even though they still want to be slim, like a thin stomach or slim abs, but being okay with curves, that's where that accentuating some of the things that result in me looking good or that individual looking good that they may, you know, engage in some sort of, whether it's actual surgical or non-surgical enhancements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess the, the real question is always like really questioning your intention and like understanding where those decisions are coming from for you. Yes, absolutely. You know, it is when, especially when you go back to body image and thinking about how do other people see me or how do I see myself? It really becomes that what is the influence on sort of my own thoughts? How do I really embrace and accept this is who I am? And it's not me trying to make changes based on maybe other people's comments or other people's beliefs about how my body should or should not be. I sometimes say to clients that we work with, like, what is good body image? And I'm like, I don't really know. What is the answer to that? And I will sometimes say to them, good body image. I woke up this morning. It's like, oh, okay, I look good. And I keep it moving. And I don't worry about anything else. I'm able to do my job and it's not a factor for the rest of the day. Or tomorrow I can wake up and think, ugh, I get dressed, I get to work, I do what I need to do. And I don't think about it the rest of the day. It's not influencing my work, how I feel about myself. It's just acknowledging that today I think I might look good, tomorrow not so much. And that is really how I think about what good body image is. And again, that's my view of this. But if we're not able to view it in that way versus we are constantly changing, it's impacting our emotional state, it's impacting our relationships or our responsibilities, that's when we have to think about what's going on, that this is something deeper than just dissatisfaction today. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that one part or one thing that can impact our our sense of our body image is memories. Can you elaborate on that a little more? Yeah, I definitely think there's a, even if we think about intergenerational trauma, I absolutely believe that there are intergenerational and historical influences on a Black woman's body. And so I think that's why it is complex in many ways. Kind of thinking about how going back to slavery, where a larger body size, even though we know that there are the archetypes that were present, like with the mammy, but also there was this sense of being linked to like fatness or being greedy or lazy as Africans and that they needed to be disciplined and controlled. Also, we know that Black women's bodies, going back to slavery again, was treated as being in excess. And so I think that that's something that absolutely can be 
passed on, but also when you're thinking about memories, what are some of the things that happen along the way developmentally? And I don't know that sometimes those things are always overt experiences. They could be things where maybe I've never even told anyone about, or this message that I heard, or even the messages that I heard, like my family make about their own bodies and thinking, okay, if I look like Aunt Tina and I hear people commenting about Aunt Tina's body, how might I adopt those things? And those become some of the memories, I think, as well, that really influence and shape how we see ourselves as individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that context because you're right. I think it is often a very complex kind of situation. It's definitely not as easy as telling somebody to stop doing that, right? Like there are lots of layers that need to be explored here. Agree. Also, just thinking about, as you're saying that, I keep going back to body image for Black women is not about thinness. And I think we continue to sort of have to educate others and fight this fight, so to speak, that it's not just a Black woman may embrace a larger body type. It's just that our standards, I guess I would say, for Black girls developmentally or the standards for Black women overall are just different from that of white women in terms of a preferred body type. Why do you feel like it's important to make that distinction? Because if the standard of beauty is focused on this uniform picture that's been established by a white sort of social construct of beauty, then you're going to be missing the mark. But then also, I think to sort of generalize Black women as, oh, just all of them are accepting of a thicker figure or a larger body type, again, you're missing the mark. And so I think that it's important to know that even though Black women may select like larger body silhouettes, it's been documented in studies, it's more based on, in general, Black people versus white people may think about body image or just acceptance of body type at a larger BMI. And so they're not looking at that thin ideal. They're not looking necessarily at that standard of beauty that was developed from this white social construct. And that's the part that I think that clinicians, all clinicians really need to be aware of. Otherwise, there could be some contradictory messages that are occurring. Mm, That is such an important point. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah, because if you are a white clinician or somebody who's not in tune with all these cultural pieces, you may miss that I may have like some disordered eating because I seem fine with my curves. Absolutely. I know that you also recently contributed a chapter to the Treating Black Women with Eating Disorders, a clinician's guide. Can you tell us about your chapter? Yes, thank you. So the chapter focused on binge eating disorder and shame, overall looking at eating disorders amongst Black women and binge eating disorder in particular, but really focusing on that sense of mental health being taboo growing up. So I'm in my 40s. So in the chapter, I kind of go back thinking about personal experiences or the messages personally, but then also in working with women of color. So just that acknowledgement that 40 plus years ago, and still today, in many ways, mental health was not talked about, let alone the thought about eating disorders. And so just thinking if someone was struggling with any sort of depression, anxiety, or an eating disorder, who would they have turned to? And so how it becomes this great sense of shame that I'm struggling with something, that I'm weaker 
than maybe my peers or my siblings. And so that's one of the messages that I really wanted to sort of put out in the chapter that focus on shame and then what that really does to us and how shame not only influences disordered eating, but also how shame influences body image and just general sense of self. Again, then reinforcing probably some increased depression, anxiety, and other mental health concerns as well. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, this whole idea, especially 40 plus years ago, we weren't talking about therapy, but we definitely were not talking about eating disorders. The right. You know, like just, <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I don't even know. You may be able to give us a better sense of a timeline, but at what point it even became recognized that like black women actually did struggle with eating disorders because for a long time. And I think still some of this is in the narrative around like, oh, that's not something black girls struggle with right like only white girls get eating disorders you know so I think our timeline is even later than you know the general population in terms of discussing these things Mm -hmm. Yeah, in terms of exact dates, clearly, I don't know that. But absolutely, uh, you know, I've been with Renfrew for almost 14 years. And when I think about when I first started, I was not seeing not only providers that look like me, but definitely no patients that look like me. Even when we did have a patient, it was the rarity. I'm grateful for telehealth services now that we're able to connect more people of color amongst our system at Renfrew. But even still, you might have one or a few because there is still so much stigma. The eating disorder still doesn't even occur within, it may be more binge eating disorder versus anorexia or bulimia. And Black women get all eating disorders. Right, right. But I do think about eating disorders have definitely been present. I don't know if I shared this in the chapter or not, but I can even recall growing up, my grandmother used laxatives all the time, like every single day. And when I think about how we might characterize bulimia, like, and even now, or even a subclinical diagnosis, you know, of an eating disorder, might I have considered her having some disordered eating with mm-hmm. utilizing laxatives. So I think we miss the things that Black women may do or engage in that are absolutely still disordered behaviors. Mm. More from my conversation with Paula right after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. 
That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in-store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Many people feel anxious when they think about finances. It can feel overwhelming, stressful, and even hopeless, especially when you're first starting out and don't know what to do. But when you have a solid financial plan in place, this anxiety turns into confidence. You can regain a sense of control over your life and improve your self-esteem. How do you build financial confidence? Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Can you share other things that might be missed? Well, definitely the laxatives. Even though, again, I realize that all individuals who engage in eating disorders may utilize some of these. But yeah, diet pills, laxatives, and diuretics would be up there at the top for me. As I think about people who are Black individuals, when I think even historically, or even when I think about just people that I know that know people and know what I do, and they sort of talk and explore, is this a problem? So diet pills, laxative, and diuretics are absolutely something that the frequency may not meet the criteria 
for a diagnosis of an eating disorder. But if you're talking about this is something that's disordered behaviors and that could somebody start to seek some help around, absolutely. I think this is where we're missing the mark. I recall reading a few years back where what if individuals who could have been diagnosed with maybe binge eating disorder or subclinical eating disorders were missed because the focus was just on health and weight mm. and that you just needed to lose weight. That did any of those individuals then start to engage in other behaviors, whether it was the purging via, like you said, putting your finger down your throat, or maybe they started restricting more. What if we would have caught some of these disorders or these behaviors beforehand? What would the frequency be of eating disorders amongst various populations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably safe to say the numbers are not super accurate. Absolutely. Because we're also <laughs> still taking the numbers based on who's reporting to. Right. So, right. you know, this is just on who's seeking treatment in general. Yeah, I think other behaviors that could be still some subclinical, again, maybe they're exercising or over-exercising, even though I realize we're talking about exercise and Black women, that's kind of always been a thing and with respect to hair. but exercise is an appropriate behavior. People encourage people to exercise. That's just being heart healthy. And so I think that behaviors that individuals believe are okay, this is what's getting missed. Dieting just in general, even when I think about the intermittent fasting, this is something that could be is this a gateway? Is it sort of some subclinical behaviors? But yet it's socially acceptable. That was on my list to bring up, Paula, but you have already brought it up. So let's go there. So I don't quite understand what intermittent fasting is, but Mm -hmm. in paying attention to the landscape from people who use a health at every size model, it, it seems like people are not excited about this, right? Like people in your field, because it does feel like there is some concern. So can you say more about what intermittent fasting is and why we might want to be careful with it? Yeah, essentially it's dieting. You know, if we were to just be honest, it still is dieting. So intermittent fasting is depending on the plan that an individual is following. They're only allowing themselves to eat during a specific time. And that could be for a certain number of hours each day. It could be eating like the number of meals, a certain number of days a week. But the intent is to burn body fat. And so When you're looking at, there are multiple plans or recommendations as to how someone may engage in an intermittent fasting or an intermittent fast. And again, they're not doing it for religious purposes. So for example, someone might only eat during an eight-hour period each day, and then they're fasting for the remainder of the day. Or they could choose to eat only one meal a day, like two days a week. And then they're fasting and increasing fluids for a few days a week. And then they would resume and sort of go back and forth. And so it's just really that contrast of what normal eating patterns may be for most of us when we're awake. But again, it's a diet and it only works by prolonging the period in which your body has burned through the calories consumed from your last meal. And then it starts to burn fat. And who is coming up with like the plan for like whether you do only within an eight hour versus like only eat every two days? I'm guessing this is not happening with like a physician or somebody like guiding. 
Like with this not. <laughs> I hope not, but it, it could be. And I don't want to say that it definitely is, but just if there are some individuals who are encouraging or prescribing diets that are medical professionals, this could be a way that they're also prescribing a diet. In terms of who's coming up with the how and what, I, that's something, Joy, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I do know that there's always the recommendations of check with your doctor before starting any diet program. They're saying the same thing about even starting the intermittent fasting. Because there are so many approaches to doing it, they just say you can pick like a daily approach, you can explore what might happen. There's like a 16-8, which is like I mentioned about the eating for eight hours, fasting for 16. There's another approach that's like a five to two approach where you can eat regularly for five days a week. And then the other two days, you're limiting yourself to one five to 600 calorie meal. So there are so many plans, even stretching out the period of time without food from like anywhere from 24 hours to 72 hours. And so as you can imagine, that can be dangerous for us. What is dangerous about it? Because your body still needs fuel. You Mm -hmm. know, when you're thinking about fuel and energy, this is what all of our bodies need. And I think that going too long without eating can actually encourage your body to store fat in response to starvation. But also if you're thinking about somebody who already may be medically compromised, is this then what your body needs? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because keep in mind, they're fasting to get to the point of where their body is now starting to burn fat. And so for each of us, we don't know what that time length is going to be. Yeah. And this is where you get into the territory of like really messing up like your hunger cues. And, you know, so then your body is like not indicating to you when you actually do need more fuel. Absolutely. And and then if you're prone to develop an eating disorder, just imagine that then now have you kind of set something off there with the temperament vulnerability in terms of who develops it. But you're absolutely correct. Hunger and fullness cues are so vital to any of us. You know, if we're talking about normalized eating in general, we want to be able to incorporate like variety, balance, moderation, but also pleasure. We want to consume foods that we enjoy. And so if we're working on that and being a more intuitive eater and having a healthy relationship with food, that's the approach to take. You know, that's where you want to be able to sort of work things out versus this diet approach. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about that, Paula, how we actually do develop a healthy relationship with food? So intuitive eating is also something that I've heard people talk about. Can you say more about that? Oh, wow. When I think about how do you develop a healthy relationship with food and going back to anybody with kids or not that everyone does this, so let me not make a blanket statement. But understanding that we don't want to pressure people to eat. Now, again, that's outside of the eating disorder. We're not talking about people who have eating disorders, but recognizing that pressuring individuals to eat is not necessarily going to be a good thing. So when I think about developing a healthy relationship with food, it really starts with what are our food beliefs? What do we believe about food? Really not holding on to sort of this good, bad food beliefs, really being able to let go of diets and diet approaches and just acknowledging that all foods fit. So that's really going to be part of it. But that part of it is ongoing. 
because we're bombarded with messages. But as you develop that healthy relationship with food, acknowledging that food is life, we all have to have it, it's all gonna be in common. And so if we're utilizing food for survival, then what does that look like? Also acknowledging that different people have different needs and food preferences. And so sometimes that's gonna be biologically driven, but other times it's just our taste buds and what we like or dislike. And so I think that's where it's the acceptance and variety and really not falling into this about what's good or what's bad. It's also identifying, is there any sort of emotional activity or emotional connection to what we're eating, why we're eating, and even maybe the how we're eating. And so increasing our understanding of that as well in the process of, you know, working on developing a healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. More from my conversation with Paula right after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. 
Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API Scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Many people feel anxious when they think about finances. It can feel overwhelming, stressful, and even hopeless, especially when you're first starting out and don't know what to do. But when you have a solid financial plan in place, this anxiety turns into confidence. You can regain a sense of control over your life and improve your self-esteem. How do you build financial confidence? Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Yeah. And I wonder if you can say more about kind of earlier, we started this conversation, but I'd like to go back to just the whole like entire body positivity movement. Do you have thoughts on like the current evolution of what that looks like? You know, I, yes, (laughs) (laughs) I think what it wasn't, what it's intended to do, I think is great. I really do. I think the intention is great that it's about acceptance of all bodies, regardless of physical ability, size, gender, race, appearance. I think if we could hold on to that, that would be amazing. I think that it also has the concept that all people deserve to have a positive body image, regardless of what society and culture believes an ideal shape or size and appearance needs to be. Where I struggle with body positivity is that I think that we have to also think about racial diversity. And we really have to think about, like, how do we have these movements that focus on one aspect of something like body positivity, but maybe are we also acknowledging that there is some anti-Blackness somewhere as well? Are we accepting of other social movements? Are we accepting of people in general? And I think that's where if we're focused on sort of body positivity, we also need to be focused on racial equality as well. Yeah. And I've also seen commentary just around like, maybe people won't actually feel positive about their bodies and is that also okay like more of a neutral 
like you kind of mentioned, like I wake up and I'm like, huh, okay. And I don't necessarily feel one way or another about my body. So not necessarily body positivity, but I don't necessarily feel negative about myself. Exactly. Roxanne Gay, whom I love, she had a quote somewhere. And one of the things that she had amongst other parts of this, but she said that it was insulting to assume that I am ashamed of myself for being fat no matter how close to the truth that might be. And Joy, that's exactly what you're talking about. Can I just be accepting of my body? I don't necessarily have to be positive about it. I just acknowledge that it is, it allows me to do what I need to do, but also knowing that there might be different days that I feel a little bit differently about it versus is someone trying to make me accept my size, my shape, my weight. I hadn't heard that quote. I thank you for sharing that. But it really speaks to a sense of entitlement, right? That mm-hmm. like other people get to tell you how you need to feel about your body. Mm-hmm. I'll start at the beginning of it. It says, it's hard for thin people to know how to talk to fat people about their bodies, whether their opinions are solicited or not. And she says, I get that, but it's insulting to pretend I am not fat or to deny my body and its reality. It's insulting to think I am somehow unaware of my physical appearance. And then, and it's insulting to assume that I'm ashamed of myself for being fat, no matter how close to the truth that might be. And whenever I think about body positivity, the This is what I think about. So how would you like to see that move forward, whether it be body positivity or something else? That's a great question. I think about self-acceptance, how individuals learn to exist in their bodies, learn to exist in society. That might feel a little too idealistic, but I think about social acceptance and not allowing society to determine my value. And when I say society, it even could be family, you know, Mm -hmm. it could be peers, but also, like you said earlier, the messages in social media and media and all of these factors that can definitely influence how I think about myself or how an individual thinks about themselves. Mm -hmm. You've given me something to think about. (laughs) Something for all of us, I think, to think about. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, because, you know, like, what is the standard of beauty? I think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. What's okay? Interestingly, I think about maybe being connected to your own body. When I think about sort of body image distortion and just body image in general, that how individuals are sort of disconnected from their bodies. It's whether emotionally the experiences that they have and in an effort to protect themselves. And so if there's a way that we can sort of be more connected, be more accepting, not just of the physical appearance, but the emotional stuff, the internal stuff that we are experiencing. I think about that as being like, probably some really good body image stuff too. Mm -hmm. Do you have some favorite exercises or things that you suggest for people who do need to work on being more connected to their bodies? Mm. Yeah. You know, in some ways we teach our clients a lot about reappraisals and that's one of the things that I would say is really pretty powerful because I think our automatic thoughts when they occur, it's like the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? Like there's nothing that anyone else could say to me that would make this different or to make me believe something differently, especially for individuals who are really struggling with eating disorder, disordered eating, and even just those who experience body image concerns. And so when I think about a reappraisal, the intent is to explore, could something else be true? It doesn't mean that it is true. 
Because maybe what you believe is your automatic thought may absolutely be true. But reappraisal starts to think about, could something else be true? And that's one of the things we encourage and work on with clients. So then maybe my emotional response may not be as strong. I may not engage in some sort of disordered behavior instead of, well, whoa, if something else could be true, how does that maybe lessen the intensity of what I feel? How could that encourage or change the behavior that I'm using or engaging in to sort of dampen down that emotional experience that's related to some of the distortions I experience in my body? Also, I think being able to explore what are some of those core beliefs that you have? Going back, if body image is about not just how I believe other people see me, but also how I see myself and those internal factors, in addition to the memories and the assumptions and generalizations that occur, then how can I start to explore my core beliefs? And that could be core beliefs about your body, that could be core beliefs about how your interactions with other people. And as individuals start to be able to identify what some of those core beliefs may be, and those can be things about I'm unlovable, I'm not good enough, I'll never measure up, then being able to start to work through that. Like, where did this belief form? How does it get reinforced? And then thinking about then maybe some of the things that we engage in body image wise could also absolutely be encouraging the core belief. Thank you for that, Paula. Those sound like some great things to kind of keep in mind related to both body image, but also related to other things, right? Like, especially the reappraisal, like, could something else be true? I think is a really powerful question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like, and it's so again, we even refer to the core beliefs as appraisals. And I always think about real estate, you know, because it is what is the value that mm. we're placing on this thought? And, and that's what we do with our core beliefs. And even to some of our general automatic thoughts that we have, that it must be true versus a reappraisal, you know, let me go look out elsewhere. Let me see if there's something else that may give me a different, you know, response in terms of the value. But if we're putting our value external of us, especially if we're trying to fit into the society's standard of beauty, then I think we'll always miss the mark. Mm -hmm. You know, that point, in addition to the conversation that we had earlier around like plastic surgery, is making me wonder if you have seen anything or even in your own experiences related to just how accessible plastic surgery and plastic surgeons have become like even on Instagram, you know, like I think about like Dr. Miami and like some of the other people who have like really huge platforms. And I feel like years ago, like plastic surgery was something very far off, right? Like you Mm -hmm. didn't hear a lot of people talk about it. And if they did, it was very hush. Right. But now like they are like doing surgery on Instagram. (laughs) Right. Yes. And so So I wonder if that has made, yeah, I wonder if that has kind of given people or has contributed in some ways to this body image conversation, just the fact that it feels so much more accessible. Absolutely. Especially if there's people that, whether I look up to them or maybe I like the outcome, you know, of what they look like, then absolutely. I think then how, if I may already be struggling or if an individual may already be struggling and maybe they just want something to be enhanced or something to be a little bit different when you're seeing it happen and it's accessible and even the cost is reasonable and payment plans and things mm-hmm. like that, then absolutely. I think that it has, it has helped increase the frequency of occurrence in the Black community. 
So where can we find good information about things like nutrition and, you know, because I know when I was in school, like we had the whole food pyramid, right? And now Mm -hmm. I think we moved to the plate and I'm not even sure what they are teaching kids at this point. (laughs) Where can we find good information about like what we should be eating, what we need to be fueling our bodies, any resources that you would suggest? Yeah, so they can always go to the Renfrew Center's website and we have information about nutrition. I would also say the National Eating Disorder Association. Also, I think maybe having an honest conversation with your providers. And, you know, I don't want to be on a diet. I do want to have normalized eating. I want to be able to incorporate cultural foods and things that I have every day. So what could that look like? I would also say that if you were to decide to work with a dietitian or a nutritionist, make sure there's someone that isn't just sort of diet focused and they are about health and well-being because I think that's where you may miss the opportunity to have someone that's going to say, oh, you need to remove carbs or you need to remove white refined, you know, whatever it may be based on the, the most recent thing that's sort of bad for you. But staying your ground, I think in many ways is what I would say, because you want to be able to adopt and include any sort of cultural foods and just acknowledging that your body is different from someone else's body and normalized eating is the way to go. Mm -hmm. So where can people get in touch with you, Paula, your website, as well as any social media handles you'd like to share? So interestingly, and I thought about this when when you interview Dr. Brooks, I don't do social media either. (laughs) It is so not a Renfrew thing. It's it's just, I don't know. and, And I, talk to so many different people and they're like, you have to do it. Like you need to put in. <laughs> Even someone said that I would reference it, and I know that with therapy for black girls, clue there are black providers, but just acknowledging someone had said to me, like you're a unicorn, you know, you're a black woman that also first you're a black woman therapist and you're a black woman that's treating eating disorders and people need to know that. Mm-hmm. And so, and I keep sort of thinking like, okay, I'm going to do this at some point, but I would say the Renfrew Center is always a great way to connect with me and people will direct you that way. If I can say I'm also on Therapy for Black Girls as well. And so that's a way to connect with me. And even if it's to answer questions, I absolutely have no reservations in doing that. I want to be able to support people and getting them what they need. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for that. It's so funny. Dr. Brooks's daughter actually listens to the podcast. And so mm-hmm. she was trying to encourage her mom to get on Instagram after the episode posted. So I uh-huh. thought that, that was really hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it's yeah, my I secretly utilize one of my cousins. <laughs> and so I'll sort of stalk her or you you know, access her social media. I'll say, Can you post something for me? So <laughs> typically I use my family for that. But It'll happen soon. (laughs) Eventually, eventually. Well, thank you so much, Paula. I appreciate you sharing all this information with us today. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure and so appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm so glad Paula was able to share her expertise with us today. To learn more about the Renfrew Centers or to check out the resources that she shared, be sure to visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 204. And don't forget to text two of your girls and tell them to check out the episode as well. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic 
or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the Sister Circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for Black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional-grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 